Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's up? Hello and welcome to Sega Talk episode number 69. One of the most sexiest numbers of all time. I'm your host, George, and with me is my partner, Barry. I'm trying to do the, the gang symbol for six, the 69 Dude, gang. don't be doing gang symbols in the pod. I don't want like a gang member to see this and then they're like, you know you were throwing this, that, the crypt sign up, right? You don't know what you're doing, dude. And then they see you. No, this as- isn't the crypt sign. <laughs> this is the, crypt, the crypto sign. This whole episode's an NFT. Oh no! So. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> um, I think people are overreacting. On, I mean, I'm not. I think NFTs are t- garbage. But like to pretend that like every NFT is the same, like they're all like Bitcoin or whatever, it's too much. I'm just like, right. we give me actual numbers on how much energy these things use, and then we'll talk about it from there. But yeah, right. And and if you guys like talking about that stuff, we're on Discord. We were talking about that all oh, day. Oh yeah, on, on Discord, Discord. Right. So there's a link at at segabits.com. Yeah, right. So (laughs) I'm using a, uh, in the video form of this, if uh, people are seeing, I'm using the the, the zoom filter with the the fake background. It works all right, but I'm using a PS5 headset for my audio, and like you can see right through it, it looks weird. So it looks like I have like a little halo on top of me. So it's it's, it's nice. You're heavenly. Of course, for episode 69. (laughs) But um, so... We also have a Patreon, obviously, where you guys could leave, uh, support the show, obviously, which is the number one thing, and you guys could leave your guys' memories in the end. I opened it up now to, like, any comments you guys want to have, because sometimes people don't have memories of every single game, but if you're interested, check us out on patreon.com slash segabits, and before we get into the whole podcast, I just want to do one thing about Judgment, right? That game is weird the lighting is weird like people are right it is a little wonky dude that game is i'm actually shocked that sega hasn't talked more about it because like right i've been playing it the other day and and i don't know if it's a glitch that i had one time but like the character went in through the wall and started sitting there talking to the other character and it was all off sync it was weird but i'm assuming that game's gonna have a lot of patches so if you guys are gonna buy it watch out for it but the that's, 60... that's so interesting that, like, I never thought the jump from, like, PS4 to PS5 or these little remasters that they do would cause such frustration with stuff like lighting. Like, it reminds me of, because I'm, you know, I'm in, big into movies and stuff, it reminds me of people complaining about, like, Blu-ray to 4K, and they're like, oh, they totally ruined the transfer, it's too dark, you know? It's like, yeah. they can't get it right. I don't know why. I, mean, I think... I guess people will see in your review, but... Yeah, I would say though that the that the sixty frames per second is like so nice, like just that aspect mm-hmm. of it. If they could like something about the lighting just off, like I, I just don't think they were ready to do RTX lighting or whatever they're trying to do here. I'm not a professional at this, mm-hmm. but I'm just like it just looks off. It's weird. I don't even know how to say it. It looks good in videos though, so in some videos in some spots, but some parts not so much. But let's talk about. Let's talk about Feel the Magic, which is the game we're going to be talking about today, which is a, I guess people call it a dating simulator slash minigame. 
Um, I will probably call it more of a mini game collection with some sort of like love plot to it on top of it. Um, I think the creators call it that. the creators call it a love movie game. So, um, hmm. just like every episode, uh, what is your history? This is how we usually start. We talk about our history with the game. So, what's your history with Feel the Magic? And what do you think of the game now that it's been over 17 years that since it's been released? Well, um, as far as the platform it's on, so it's the DS game, Nintendo mm-hmm. DS. Um, I've long had a history with Nintendo where I would like skip a console mm-hmm. and then pick up the next one because it's always backwards compatible. So, you know, the, the first real Nintendo console I bought was actually a hand, handheld, the Game Boy Advance SP which meant I could play, you know, Game Boy games, because I never owned a Game Boy. Then I bought a 3DS, which means I could play DS and 3DS games. So, as you can tell, I I got into it pretty late. Um, When I did pick up the 3DS, though, I started shopping around, buying all these, you know, cheap DS titles that I could find. This game was cheap at the time. Mm -hmm. This was like... It's like five bucks, seven bucks. Yeah, exactly. Like five bucks, $4.99 at GameStop. Um, and so, yeah, I just picked it up, checked it out. I knew Sonic, I guess Sonic Team's behind it, right? Is it a Sonic Team game? I mean, it seems like everything was Sonic Team back in the day. Yeah, yeah, that's actually part of the the notes. We'll talk about it. A lot of people say, a lot of people uh, dispute if it is or isn't, so I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I won't spoil it then, but, um, yeah, so... I enjoyed it for what it was. I'm a big fan of mini game compilations, things like that. Uh, Mr. Bones, WarioWare, uh, stuff like that. So it was cool. It was different. Um, but it was it was like candy, you know. Like you have it once, you maybe come back, try it again. But it's it's kind of a one and done game for me. It's not a game I've returned to since playing it in like the mid 2000s or late 2000s, whenever the 3DS came out. Yeah, I kind of with you. I didn't get the DS until because um, it was like a re- really weird period for me at the time. Like I, I was trying to like leave gaming. It was weird. It was like I didn't want to play games anymore because you think you know you're at a certain age. You're like, you know, I don't think I want to play video games anymore. And I kind of tried to just quit. But I, mm-hmm. I, I got I got back into the the DS when they launched the DS Lite. I was like, oh, right, that looks really 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 nice. So I went and just bought one, and then I was like, what game should I buy? Obviously, Feel the Magic was super cheap, like you said. So at the time, it was right. a no-brainer to just pick it up because it was Sega. Picked up a few other games, too, at the time. And um, you know what? I, I really had a lot of fun with this game, and it was like one of the only games at the time that I used to have that really showed off what the DS could do. It was like super cheap. It was everywhere, and it, did, and it right. used all the features of the DS, so like... When I showed my mom the DS and I was like, check this out, we played a bunch of mini games and it was so easy because to her it would be, you know, you blow the candle or you do this and it's just like really showed her that games aren't just a controller and stuff. And she never really does play games. Like the only game I remember playing growing up with her outside when I played this was the original Mario game on the NES. So it's like, I think for people that don't play games, like she used to play Tetris too, but like, for those people that went from 8-bit and never played games as adults, you know, like parents, it's weird to be like, mm-hmm. oh, check this 3D game out that you have to turn the camera and stuff. It's just too much for them. So get me this mini game, you know, made it easy. 
Uh, as far from absolutely as far from me, I I really like the art style, the music, uh, the tone of the game, um, and uh, I I think it's aged well. The art style has, at least in my opinion, um, I like the whole shadow figures and stuff. I think they did a good job. So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit more about Feel the Magic. Inclu- first, the name, I guess. So <laughs> Feel the Magic X Y slash X X is a confusing title. As you can tell, we went with the North American version of the title, but the game is actually released under three different names. In Europe and Australia, it was known as Project Rub, and in Japan, it was known as Kame no Tame Nara Shiniro, which means I would mm-hmm. die for you. Uh, seeing as there's three different titles, what title do you think <laughs> best describes the game, Barry, outside of these three? Um, You know, I actually prefer Feel the Magic, not because I'm like... American, you know, like it's my region, right? Yeah. Um, but I would drop the X Y X X. I mean, it's obviously referring to chromosomes. Yeah. Um, it's just too much. Like, feel the magic works. It's very obviously playing off of the gimmick of the DS, like mm-hmm. feel, touch. Um, whereas Project Rub, it also says what it is. It, it actually, I guess, my problem with Project Rub is it sounds like the code name for the game and not the final game. Yeah. Um, and then the Japanese one, I Would Die For You, is whatever. It's fine. And I think that's a, like an 80s song or something where they go, I would die for you. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so so what did the director, you think? Uh, well, I guess the director talked in an interview about the title um, straight. And he says, uh, Taku, Takuyumi Yoshinaga. Said to GameSpy that uh, he wanted the ja- he wanted the game to have a strange title. He said, "When you look at the DS, it doesn't look like a normal game hardware. So I wanted to make a game that would appeal to more casual gamers and even non-gamers. From that sense, I wanted to give the game's title that would appeal to non-gamers. Even for gamers, I think that a name would make their head turn. It would make them think, what's up with the, that name? It's so unique.'" That way, the names would appeal to both audiences. I basically try uh, try to give names of titles that sound like movie titles. Um, hmm. When he was asked if he was upset of Sega of America changing the title, he said, "I actually never thought about it that deeply." Um, I don't know. I mean, you think like if you ever did a project like a video game, and then you're like coming up with titles, would it bother you that a localization version would be changed so dr- drastically? Because like, I will die for you, and feel the magic they're kind of totally mm-hmm. different titles and like he wanted it to be shocking right when you walk into the store as a mom and be like i would die for you what with a girl in the beginning right yeah i mean it's not like a game where the title's like baked in like jet set radio so it's just odd that they called it jet grind radio yeah um it's also not like uh skies of arcadia and eternal arcadia where i'd argue the american name's better just because yeah. it has more of an adventure feel. Um, here, though, th- they all work, um, and they're all, I guess, unique and, and strange. I guess the only problem is, because there's so many different titles, this franchise does not have a name. Even the yeah. sequel has a different name. So it's like, I think, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I think why this game kind of gets forgotten is because nobody knows what to call it. Pretty much, you know. I, like, I, I have to. What's agree. your favorite franchise? Uh, the 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 guy and girl. It's ra- ra- uh, Rub uh, Magic Rabbits or 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I call it feel the magic. I maybe maybe we should have all win with Project Grub or feel the magic. One of those two, but the West should have definitely had one name and Europe shouldn't have a, like strayed. It's kind of weird that they, mm-hmm. they there's two names. I mean three names. And imagine all but those. This game released in America first, right? I think it did, and I think Europe did it last. I'm thinking. I think they did in 2005. So technically, America's the first name. <laughs> so we'll go you with know? that. One. Well, we're gonna go with that one yeah, for insanity's so. sake. We're gonna be calling it "Feel the Magic" from now on. So if you're right. from Europe, and don't get upset. Um, Sorry. Well, I generally feel like the game has gone under the radar, and I think because you said it perfectly, because it has so many titles, and it's kind of a bizarre minigame collection. I think a lot of these bizarre minigame collections go under the radar. Like, even I think WarriorWare stuff is not talked about as much as you think they would be talking about it. Um, I, 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 at least the, the bizarre ones, like We Play and all that, obviously sold a gazillion copies. At the time, it was pretty much known not only for wacky, sexy minigames experience, but it was also one of the launch titles for the Nintendo DS, and considered one mm. of the earliest games that would make use of all the Nintendo DS's features, including the touchscreen, microphone, uh, as you scream, blow, you could also scribble, swipe, and more to win the love of your crush. So, now that we're talking about the Nintendo DS uh, launch... The device hit America on November 21st, 2004, and cost $149.99, which, I don't know, is that cheap? I think that's a decent price. I think, uh, I mean, yeah, especially at the time. So let's talk about the Nintendo DS's launch lineup. First, mm-hmm. we had Asphalt Urban GT. It's like a racing game. I never heard anyone talk about it. Obviously, Feel the Magic. Madden NFL 2005, and this is the launch lineup for the North American, just letting everyone know. Uh, Met, uh, Metroid Prime Hunters, First Hunt. I looked this up and I was like, oh, dude, Metroid Prime Hunters was a sick game, but it was only called Hunters. First Hunt hmm. is actually a demo that they sold, or I think it came uh, with it, but it's like, come on, that's not a real launch game. That's that's a demo. You can't, Can you really call demos launch games? Not really. Launch demo. Yeah. Spider-Man 2, based on the movie, the award-winning movie. Mm-hmm. Super Mario 64 DS. And the, the Herbs, Simmons, Sims in the City. I know that's probably your favorite title of the launch lineup. It is, yeah. Uh, for some reason, uh, the very excellent WarioWare Touch didn't make the North American launch, but it did in Japan, which is another great minigame collection for you guys to check out if you guys like this one. Uh, Absolutely. What, what is your opinion on the launch lineup and your overall opinions at, uh, of the Nintendo DS as a console? Um... I mean, looking at it, it doesn't seem that bad. So I'd, I'd assume Asphalt Urban GT is racing. Mm-hmm. Feel the Magic is a very gimmicky game that takes advantage of the the console, everything the console does, which mm. Sega's always great at doing. I mean, Dreamcast launched with Sonic Adventure, with which, again, another Sonic Team game, took advantage of everything the Dreamcast could do. So, I mean, leave it to Sega to take a Nintendo uh, piece of hardware and be like, we're going to show you everything you can do with this. Uh, Madden, sports, Metroid. What is that like? First person or uh, Metroid is like a first. It's a first person shooter. Um, okay, we used the touch screen to shoot, and it had online play yeah. when, it, when it finally came out. But yeah, 
that's not bad. Then 3D Adventure with uh, Spider-Man, and then re re-release, but a pretty good re-release with Mario 64, and then a sim. I think it's a pretty great lineup, actually. There's, I mean, I, I wouldn't be picking up all these games at launch, but it seems to cover. I think it's just missing fighting. I think if a really cool fighting game launched in an RPG, yeah, a fighter in an RPG would have made this like a really great lineup. Um, as far as the DS as a whole, like I said, I've never owned one. Um, I think they're pretty cool. I could imagine though it got frustrating moving on where it was like DSI where I think mm. isn't that the other one? So it's like already they're making software that does not work with your console. And I know the 3DS did that, but I think it was only like one game, right? That I, I think did not might, work with the I old think model. the DSI might have the same thing. I think it was only a few games. I'm not sure how many it was, but yeah. maybe the Super Nintendo ones or is that the 3DS? I think the 3DS one was the that had like the all-new 3DS where, like, they released two games and Super Nintendo games on it. I might... Is it worth getting a new 3DS, like, now? If you play a lot of, like... Okay, so the game makes loading faster, and it, and it actually mm-hmm. increases uh, FPSs on some games. So, like, if you're really playing DS, a 3DS, and you get it for pretty cheap, it's, upgr- it's pretty yeah. nice for, like, just not the loading. But I don't think the DS had that much loading. I mean, 3DS, but... I did notice the speed But there's still, like, there's still 150. It's not like they're really going down in price. Man, only Nintendo would be selling something like that for, like, 150 still. It's crazy, but all right. Yeah. So Well, there you go. <laughs> I have to agree with you on the launch lineup. I, I don't think DS ever had great fighting games, but it would definitely would have made it a lot better. And as for the mm-hmm. price and everything, it, it, that's fine. I, it's... Uh, it was weird because at the time people would complain about it, but I really, really, really liked the graphics on the DS. It reminded me of the Sega Saturn graphics. So, like, I always like seeing those little right. low-poly models, so I like it. I liked it. I, a lot of people back then were always, like, mocked the uh, Mario 64 DS saying it looked worse than Mario 64. Right. But I'm like, I don't know, I like it. I don't know, something about it. Now, as far as price, like 149 the Dreamcast launched... For one ninety nine, mm-hmm. and I'd presume by this point you could probably get it used for a, you, you, new for a hundred bucks for sure. Um, so less than that. The idea probably. that right. So the idea that in the mid two thousands you have a handheld that's the price of a console that you know, like the Dreamcast's second price drop of one forty nine. I wonder how that would sit with people at the time. I mean, I guess the whole idea where it's like, well, it's 3D gaming, it has two screens, touch controls. I don't know. Um, it, it sold. I mean, it's the. I think it's the highest selling handheld. I think of all time. So I, I think they were all right. But like, I I feel like it really took off when they started like having good software. Like, when they started doing, like, Nintendogs, mm-hmm. those mainstream games, I think that's when it really started taking off. Oh, absolutely. I, I do think, though, that the DS kind of, uh, you know, as popular as it was, it kind of became a part of the 3DS. Yeah. To the point where we now we now talk about 3DS, and I think a lot of people, you know, just roll in all the DS titles, just like how I feel like Game Boy Advance SP really took over the Game Boy Advance. Like, sure, people still show that original console, but in the end, it, it's kind of like the SP became the de facto default. Oh, for uh, sure. GBA, just like with the 3DS kind of taking over. So I think 
the, the DS, it's it's memorable, but because there's so many hardware revisions, it's kind of hard for me to say, run out there, find an original DS, you know, because oh, it's just like... It's so big. Why not get a 3DS? Yeah, you know it's what? huge. It's. I think the lights would really took it off because, like, I swear to God, I've only seen the the original DS two times in my life, and it's like that's pretty mm. insane because it's such a popular console, you know. But uh. I never see it. Yeah, I don't see like retro stores stocked with DSs. It's always uh, the DSi, DS Lite, you yeah, know, something like that. It's anyway, better design. But um, let's talk about the yeah. creation of Feel the Magic. Because it's, it's a bit strange of history. Like, while the game is technically made by Sonic Team, uh, by a lot of fans do not consider it a Sonic Team game, but more of a United Game Artists game. Back in 2003, when Sega, was, uh, Sega dissolved United Games Artists, which is the creators of Space Channel 5 and Res, uh, which led to the head of the, of the studio, uh, Tetsu, Tetsuya Masaguchi, to leave Sega because mm. he... You know what? I've, I've read a bunch of stories about this. They're saying that he left because Sega sold out, saying that they sold out the Dreamcast and they weren't doing hardware. So he was leaving, and that's why the, the studio died out. Other people are saying that that Sega decided to, to destroy the studio because the games weren't selling as well as they wanted to, and they just put them with Sonic Team because Sonic games sell more. So I don't know. I think the later is probably more real as a, as a story because, like, Space Channel 5 did not sell that well, even though I, I really like the universe and stuff, and neither did Res. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with marketing and all that other stuff, but it is what it is. But when I, I would consider Masaguchi one of the most prolific people that left Sega that actually had success. Because, like, Yuji Naka right now is getting <laughs> knocked around for Balin uh, Wonderworld or whatever it's called. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this guy went on and made Luminous. He did Res HD, Child of Eden, Tetris Effect, which all have all gotten a lot of fans excited. While Masaguchi left Sega, a lot of the veterans that worked on Space Channel 5, including... Uh, let me put his picture up. Uh, Taku, T- Takuma Yushinaga and Takaishi, Takaishi Yuda would have uh, stayed, and they joined Sonic Team. So these two people are both kind of responsible for the UGA video games. So at this point, Takaishi Yuda would go on to produce Sonic Riders, which is another game, even though it's Sonic and Sonic Team. A lot of people consider it a UGA game, a United Game Artist game, because of him um, leading the game. And then on the other hand, we had... Yoshinaga, who would go on to create Feel the Magic at the same time. So these two guys split, and they bo- one's doing an original IP, and the other one's doing Sonic Riders. Uh, and mm. he would, uh, or or you could call it the Rub Rabbits, or I will, I wanted, or I will die for you, whatever you want to call it. So, what's your opinion <laughs> on United Game Artist uh, being under Sonic Team? And do you think that Sega should have like disbanded UGA? And like overall, is that a good idea? I mean, I I love the Dreamcast teams. I don't think they should have ever changed them. I think they should have uh, maybe rethought what made them bad or why their games weren't right. selling. But what is right. your opinion? I I was always sad when this happened because I really liked all the unique studios, and when they just kind of folded them in and just started calling everything Sonic Team games, I think it really muddied the waters. I mm-hmm. think. 
there's a difference between um, Burning Rangers, uh, Rystar, things like that, and then like Feel the Magic. I don't, or even um, uh, uh, what's that? That Rhythm Thief. You know, like that's another game that has a lot more I feel in common with like a UGA game than a Sonic Team game, oh, and yeah. it just it kind of it dilutes what made UGA special. Um, and it also Smilebit as well. I mean, the fact that Smilebit's team is now working primarily on um, either Yakuza games or on Mario and Sonic games kind of makes me sad. Like, I know they can't do the same thing forever, but now it kind of feels like they're they're doing the same thing for the past 15 years. Um, and so, you know, it, it would be really cool to see that talent come back. I think it would, honestly, if if Sega really wanted to like have some goodwill with fans, it would be sweet if they just revived um, studio names as like special labels. So it's like, guys, we're bringing Smilebit back for one more game. You know, like we're bringing back UGA for one more game. So when you boot up the game, you're going to see the Smilebit logo. We're going to have some creatives come back. It's not going to be Jet Set Radio 3, but it's going to be a new game with those like sensibilities of the original team. I think that would be really special. Um, you know, you don't need to actually formally say this is a, you know, consumer research, research and development for game and, and get all bogged down with that, but just revive those names and those logos, because I think there is a generation of fans who feel just as strongly about Sonic Team as they do, like, smile a bit, maybe not UGA, but you know what I mean? It's just, I uh, agree with you 100%. I, you know what? Yes. Don't you think it's weird that when they showed the, I don't even know what it, what is it called, Virtual Fighter Five Final Showdown esports version? Um, yeah, did they even show the Sega AM2 logo like pr- prominently anywhere? You know that's a good point. I don't know if they did, and yet we see it being shown for these like arcade games with tanks and like Hatsune Miku games, and that's accurate. Like th- that's the team making it, but like. Again, these are... Well, to talk about movies for a second, like Amblin Entertainment is a very classic, like, 80s logo. It was something you'd see before, I think, like E.T., things like that. Mm. And there's, like, an Amblin game... Not game, a movie coming out, I think, in 2021. And it's there purely for the nostalgia. Like, there's a company that owns that company's back catalog... And they are reviving that studio's name just so you can kick off a movie and see that classic logo. Um, so why not, like I, like you're saying with the AM2 thing, like maybe this was too early at the time, but let's say feel, a game like Feel the Magic comes out and they put Sonic Team on it. Don't do that. Put UGA. Revive a classic logo. And that that, and, that, that was my issue with the whole thing, you know, though. It's like... They're using the branding for Sonic Team, right? But even if you look at the cover, they don't really make a big deal that it's a Sonic Team game. When so you boot it up, right. there's a Sonic Team. And my thing is, like, did that really help the title? Like, it's still a UG. Like, let's be honest. This is the team that did Space Channel 5. When you see this, you're like, oh, it, it makes sense from them. But then when you, mm-hmm. like, Sonic Team's never made a game like this at all, ever. So to me, it's like it's very strange. But then again, they never made a choo choo, uh, like a choo choo rocket game or anything either. So, right, right. If, yeah, but then again, that's something coming from Yuji Naka's mind, so oh, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. So, 
While it might sound weird that Sega and Sonic Team would make a lovely dovey type game, it seemed that uh, <laughs> Yoshinaka got the idea when he first saw the Nintendo DS being unveiled. He said when he heard the touchscreen that could be rubbed with the stylus, in Japanese the word rub and love sound similar. Thus, he had the idea of a love comedy story. So it would, <laughs> so it would mean that the game, which at one point was called Project Rub, which would sound like Project Love in Japan, and this is where I think the UK title came from. Uh, yeah. So in the in the GameSpy interview, he talked about films that inspired him. He said, "Well, none of these things influenced me in a direct way, but indirectly. I was inspired by movies. There's something about Mary." And love actually, with music, uh, with musicals. I watched Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty Bing Bing. Uh, what hmm. is your opinion on the DS and stylus? It even predates the iPhone by a few years. And looking back, do you think it was pretty innovative, or do you think like at, at the time when I saw it, I was like, two screens, and and, and the stupid stylus. Like, I could just yeah. do that with a controller. This is stupid. And uh, <laughs> now I'm like, well, oh, I. Everything has touchscreens. I was the same thing with the iPhone. When I saw the iPhone, I was like, 600 bucks, and you don't have a keyboard? So, I mean, I was <laughs> wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't... I mean, I as as much as I like the DS, I don't think it was innovative at the time. We had the Apple Newton years before that with the, with the stylus. Of course, the difference is the DS worked a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, also, unlike something like uh, Sega Pico... The second, the bottom part is a second screen, which is is pretty sweet. So you're um, saying that Nintendo it's, it's... was playing the Pico, and they're like DS guys. <laughs> you think? Well, yeah, and I, I just I remember at the time I was like, oh, so it's not only a touch screen; it's a second screen. So I really like the idea of being able to see the, the graphics up here and then read the characters speaking down below or seeing a world map. Like I I think that's very innovative. Um, and then, you know, you're saying here it predates the iPhone. One of my favorite, uh, like, tech conference videos is the iPhone reveal. And it's honestly, like, it's just, if you're, like, looking for a good way to, like, learn about how to make a good speech, make a good, I guess, product reveal if you're ever doing that, that that thing is just, it's so funny and it's so fun to watch because it's something that happened well within our lifetime. Like, you know, just... a little bit before Segabit started and yet here's people wowing being wowed over touching a screen and my favorite part is he said so what are we going to do with the iPhone well we're going to have a stylus and everyone's like oh (laughs) okay and he's like no we're not going to have a stylus we're going to have something that we're born with he's like the finger look and everyone's like oh my god he's touching it it's moving and he's touching it and then the I think the funniest bit is when he pinches and expands, and people are just like, wow. <laughs> that, that has to be the most innovative feature, right? Like, the, the zoom pinch thing? Because, like, it just yeah, makes so much sense. And I love, my favorite part of he goes, you know, and all you do is you use two fingers to pinch and zoom. And he's like, and you better you better believe we, uh, we uh, patented that. And everyone's like, ha ha ha, yay. <laughs> Oh my god! And so, and you can't do it now. It's it's like if you, you there there's some reasoning for it, but yeah, you can't do that. Just like with Crazy Taxi and the and the finger, the arrow is something yeah. that you can't do without Sega suing you. 
Um, I think that I think the <laughs> license went away, so technically we can make a Crazy Taxi ripoff game now. Finally, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Finally, I'm gonna make mine tomorrow. It's gonna be an NFT. It's gonna be called NF Crazy NFT. As you know, as much as I want to hate and say that uh, I don't like touch screens and all that stuff, uh, I think the DS yeah. did it pretty well. I, in the end of the day, though, I think a lot of the games I did play never really used the touch screen very well. There was a lot of those kind of right. games on it where they were just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just a port. Oh, thank and you. And that's the thing. We we are really getting into an era now where I think developers are afraid to make games that are extremely tied to the hardware itself to the point where it's like it can't be um, brought to another console. Uh, as evidenced by, I remember when the Switch first came out, they're like, look at this. It's like a special kind of um, rumble feature where it feels like you're shaking ice. You yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah. They never use that anymore. Like, it's capable of that. But I feel like as innovative as the Switch is in some areas, it's really not like the Wii U or even the DS or the 3DS where the games coming to it are super, super in the the Switch ecosystem to the point of you going, there's no way this could ever be on an Xbox or a PlayStation. I think like, it's very clear developers are making games that can very easily be ported because they want to make money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense in the end. And, like, it's cool having innovative... Nothing wrong with that. But making right. you rethink your game and designing it on the ground up, it just kind of hurts you in the long run, maybe. I mean, especially now right. with, you know, PS5 and all that. So, But we don't see games like this anymore. We don't see games that are like... This is this is a game that you could only play on the DS with two screens and, and touch stuff. No. Is that a good thing? I, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know. I think that would be up to the consumer, right? I think the Switch is doing mm. fine, but like you're right. This I think the era of like, oh, we made a console that has a uh, little instead it's like you use a little uh what do they call it? A little like crank or something. Like, you control the whole thing right. with a crank. It's like, yeah, no, that ain't going to happen anymore, I think. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, the crank guns. <laughs> uh, well, the game does have some sexy mini games that involve flirting, I guess, and comedic mm. scenes, like uh, rescuing a, cool, a cute goldfish. It meant that the team tried to balance itself, uh, and and they tried not to get too sexual, they said. Um, here's a quote from the uh, from the producer. He says, Yes, it was difficult to create a theme based around love, especially since these are action games. The easiest way to communicate a relationship between men and women is to throw in some sexual content. So my biggest challenge was not to go too far into that area. Half the development team is women, so they were able to help balance things out and decide where to draw the line on the sexual content and still communicate love. Um, Mm. I looked up a lot of the developers and he's correct. There is a lot of women developers, uh, in this game. A lot of people that worked on old Sega games were on this game. They were female. Um, I don't know. Does that make it better or worse? I don't know. I think we're in the era where like, if this game came out, I guess we could talk about it after Mm -hmm. the storyline. But do you think that a game that has to do with a, a relationship between men and women should needed to have like women to be there to be like okay you're getting a little too raunchy here because i think in the end of the day the way we view romance through the eyes of a man or a woman it's totally different because like i mean right yeah so i I think this is a good thing 
Be- I, I be- no, I think it's definitely a good thing. Yeah, because and Sega's always been like that. They they're very and they never shout it from the rooftops. They never really advertise it, but they are a very innovative company when it comes to including both genders in the development of games. I mean, the mere fact that what, what, there was some Nintendo factoid recently, like, oh, it's the first Nintendo game directed by a woman, and I'm like checking my my calendar here. I'm like, uh, Sega did that in like, like yeah. the mid-80s or something. Yeah, like, to me it's like, oh, okay, cool. Fucking kidding. It's 2001 again? I, I didn't check. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it helps to, like, I mean, again, I, I always talk about TV and movies on this show, but, like, writer's rooms. Um, for years there's been sitcoms where it's a bunch of guys in a room. But you throw some women in there and you get a much better perspective on how to write female characters and female perspective on thing, on things. So, you know, it it very much helps with that. So I can see it helping with the development here. I mean, if not, it would just be a bunch of horny guys going like, oh, touch the screen, it's her butt, you know. Pretty much. So, and there was still some stuff yeah. where you're like, oh, okay, this is very japanese but that's how Japan is sometimes, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. the storyline of the game is pretty simple. Well, I mean, uh, you follow a man that meets a girl, falls in love at first sight, but she's not into him, and Aww. the protagonist has to attempt to win them over through a series of mini-games that has like little cutscenes in between, uh, which are silent, and they just, just have music. Uh, you gotta, you know, some of the mini games include, you know, rescuing her from a stampede of bulls. Uh, while you're cheered by a, a group <laughs> of men with rabbit ears, the game also, oh, yeah, in, yeah, and the game also introduced a rival uh, vine for your woman's hand. Um, while the Ooh. the game did say that it were influenced by romantic comedy movies, so the next question's a bit controversial, but do you feel like? Feel the magic if it was released today may have gotten more negative press because of the stereotypical man pressures woman that isn't interested in in dating and maybe not even that maybe just being a street straight relationship now that a lot of people are like wanting to have like gay relationships trans relationships or whatever relationships to i mean like that would complicate things right in the press uh. today right I mean, I, I think for the size and scope of the game, it wouldn't get too much flack because it's not like these are avatars you create. Like, it's very clearly a specific guy, a specific girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you kick this game off and it was like, create your man, create your woman, and, and it was like, you can only play as the man and the woman's your, you know, like, affection, then, yeah, I'd get that. But, you know, this isn't PSO2. This isn't, like... Uh, emojis on an iPhone like they they I don't think they need to feel the need to be super inclusive um also the there's no race like they're just like black shadows they, so they could yeah. be yeah. they could be any race honestly I always kind of saw the guy, saw the guy to be a little I don't know like South American for some reason I don't know why uh, I think it's because it looks like he has like a little beard but i think it's like a strap from his hat his helmet yeah um yeah but to me it always looked like one of those little like chin beards and it always reminded me because i've got a few friends that have those and they're like they're from parts of south america (laughs) i think (laughs) weird i I think (laughs) that the that the whole story and all that stuff or whatever i think it's trying to be cute and it's not trying to be like problematic or anything i don't think uh the game is telling you to go chase women down and like haggle them in the street they're telling you, you know, if they're right. gonna, if there's a 
a, a bull's running and she's in the way, it might be good for your beneficial. Like, maybe she'll like you a little more if you rescue her from bulls. Like, I mean, even if I wasn't attracted to someone, it'd be like, I like you a lot more now that you rescued my life. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's so silly that, like, I don't think it's like, I don't think there's one where it's like, yell at the woman t- and tell her she looks cute or anything like that, mini games. So it's like, it's not like about <laughs> hassling it's like hassling women. That'd be a great game. Hassle the woman. Ha- woman you just hassle poke her, her and she's like, stop. Stop. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Hey. The whole time yeah. just me yelling in, in, in the microphone. Hey. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Um, right. Of course. We could say that the most, like the thing that pops out the most to everyone about this game is the art style. In my opinion, it's probably the biggest standouts. At the time, absolutely. I, 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 at the time, I was really digging the colors, the design work that the team put together for this title, and the game's art was actually done by Nanako Yazr. I can't even say her last name, but she's a female that worked in the past with Panzer Dragoon Saga, Space Channel Five, Jet Say Radio, Billy Hatcher, <laughs> and the Giant Egg, and I think her last title was uh, the Puyo Puyo 15th Anniversary game. Sally, hmm. I couldn't get an interview with her online at all, so uh, I did find with one with uh, Yojiro Yogawa, who is best known as a as a game planner for Sonic Team, and he also did played uh, worked on games like Panzer Dragoon Saga, Sonic Adventure, and Fantasy Star Online. He had this to say about the art style. He said, "This is not only a slightly eccentric, stylish game, but it's also." regard its story as important we think that it would be easier for the player to emphasize universally by using silhouettes as character representations one of sonic team's philosophies is that we create games that will achieve the most recognition around the world when we create a title we would like as many gamers as possible to enjoy it that's why we conveyed the story of project rub without using words for example and the use of silhouettes is also for that goal so the idea would be that, like, whatever race you were, they're just shadows, like you said. It could be anything. Right. And so um, that's, according to them, that's their influence. But, of course, I, I, I looked into it, and during this time, um, it did, they didn't never mention that it was, like, you know, an iPhone thing or anything or an iPod. But I think 100% they were influenced by the Apple's iPod campaign, and I looked more into it at the time, I didn't want to be wrong, so apparently the silhouette style ads were created in 2003 in print form, and then would later become interactive TV ads, um, I'll play some of the TV ads, I guess, uh, without the music, so, um, so basically these print ads, I think in motion it looks more like what you would expect, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, the motion really like sees that silhouette look, and I think the Apple campaign did the silhouette look for the same reason that <laughs> Sonic Team did their silhouette looks. They wanted to be you could picture yourself being this person actively listening to the iPod, yeah. and then the way the iPod stands out with the white cords and stuff just became iconic, right? Yeah, they're cool commercials. I like those. So. I mean, do you think? I mean, do you think Sonic Team was partly influenced by Apple's iconic advertisement campaign that had mainstream appeal, or do you think the silhouette designs was just <laughs> something that happened around the same time? Right, like they were in development. They didn't. They never seen TV. They never saw no. the. because <laughs> they launched these in 100... Japan too, right? 
Right. I mean, 100% that it was inspired by Apple. I mean, no doubt. It's Apple. I mean, there were parodies of this on like SNL and Mad. I don't know if Mad TV was on by that point. But you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, there's no way that they were like, oh, look at our black silhouette people. <laughs> yeah. I have to agree with you 100% yeah. on this. I, but I mean, you know, it works. It's cool. I don't have a problem with it. They didn't get sued, so everyone wins. Yeah, and I think they did it in a way where it's like they added this like 70s style color aesthetic to it instead of these bright colors. So I, I think they mm-hmm. get, they put a little more into it in the dress with the girl and the helmet and stuff. There's more design than just dudes listening to iPhones or whatever. But yeah, I think... Well, I mean, when you think of mini game collections, you have, uh, I mean, let's talk about the mini games. Let's just talk about them. I think one of the weaknesses of uh, Field of Magic, it has too few mini games. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but it feels a little short, right? I really do feel that it had the art, uh, the quirkiness, and even the music, but it needed more time in development. The game had about 21 mini games, which are mostly bizarre mismatch as a story is being told. We aren't going to read hmm. through all the mini games because then we'll be just talking, Aww. telling you every single mini game. But I'll tell you some of the mini games and like how it used the DS's features. If you've never played the game, I hope you guys go in and like enjoy some of these mini games. Some are great, some are a little lazy to be honest with you. I'm surprised Sonic Team put some of these in here. Um, but uh, Bonfire, the girl on your date gets her clothes wet. You have to help her undress her. <laughs> and this is like a rhythm type mini game. Dance, a Simon Says style mini game where the player has to repeat the girls' dance moves. Gotta know how to, you know, gotta know how to uh, mm. dance, right? Yacht, in this stage, the user blows the microphone, sending the ship sailing, but you must avoid the sharks. I thought that was really cool use of the microphone that you could blow on it. I never really would have thought of that when I got the DS, that, yeah. that was a feature, so. Yeah. Goldfish. This is the most popular mini game since it's used everywhere in promotional material. But basically, someone's f- swallowed a goldfish and you have to fish it out. Later levels get harder and they have turtles and stuff. Pa- <laughs> parachute. The game gives you a number to open your parachute when you jump. Before you land, you have to enter the number and open the parachute safely. The number gets longer as it gets harder. So, just a memorizing game. Cart. <laughs> The cart level has a player on top in the cart as it's slowly racing downhill. At the bottom, the player must use the touchscreen to clean up the spiky balls. Painter, which is like Jet Set Radio, you must tag your your mark of love by spraying painted hearts Ooh. and other shapes onto the wall, but you must avoid the pesky people jumping in the way. So you kind of get a flavor for the mini games that this game has included in it. Um... What are your thoughts? Do you think the game, like, if you play the game from beginning to end, it's like an hour and something minutes, right? And that's fine. Right. Not every game has to be 20 minute. I mean, 20 hour RPGs, right? But don't you think that, like, man, I don't know, that it, that Project Rub or well, Rub Rabbits and this one should have been, like, one game? Mm-hmm. Because, like, the sequel really focuses on multiplayer, right? And this one doesn't have multiplayer right. at all. So it kind of felt like they should have just like had one title created and just called it, you know, whatever, and then tried it instead of like, <laughs> feel like it, they just rushed it and they got it out. And then they were like, the next one we'll, we'll put multiplayer. You, mm-hmm. what is your opinion on all that whole thing? 
I mean, obviously, I'd love for the game to be bigger than it is, maybe combine the two, or better yet, when the second one released, do kind of like what Crazy Taxi 2 did and include all the content from the first game in the second game. I think that would have been sweet, like uh, Samba de Amigo version 2000 did, mm. where it kind of makes the first one obsolete, but at the very least, you're both getting people to double dip on the same game, and you are kind of re-releasing it at the same time. Um, that would have been a much better move, I think. Um, but, you know, as a launch title, it makes sense that it's a smaller game, but I don't think people were complaining at the time because they were just so excited to be playing the DS, and I don't think they were going, oh, it's it's not a big game, you know. We'll talk about it, but I'll, I have closing notes mm-hmm. about the length of the game, but I, I guess it was at least something that Sonic Team even talked about. I And um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll see about it. But anyway, the game featured a, ma- a manic mode where you'll unlock clothing uh for your girl and dress her up it kind of felt like last minute i felt like they they were like we have to have something else here it can't just be mini games right so uh Mm -hmm. you unlock it by doing various things throughout the game but since the original ds had a game boy advance slot in it if you would put if you put these game boy games in it you would unlock pieces of clothing i mean everything's unlockable in game you don't have to do this but if you own these GBA games, you would unlock them easier. It's kind of like how Amiibos work today. Right. So uh, mm-hmm. the games that were supported were Choo Choo Rocket, Puyo Pop, Sonic Advance 1, 2, 3, Sonic Battles, Sonic Pinball Party, and Space Channel 5's Ula La's Cosmic Attack. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I was like, wow, they did it before the... Uh, the amiibo stuff worked and you know what that i think right and i think it's cooler to do it with a game boy slot with a game boy game than it is like a little action figure that you have to buy separately but yeah i thought that was pretty but cool that's something you you can't do on the 3ds then because that doesn't play gba games so that's interesting yeah it's a ds only kind of feature missing feature mm. yeah music so i think the game's music is like probably one of the most unique soundtracks from sega since like Probably Jet Set Radio at this point. It was like maybe three years after, though. But you think Field of Magic is being a smaller game on the DS title will have like one of Sega Sonic Team's smaller composers? The game actually had three full composers. One of them was hmm. Naofumi Hataya, who did uh, uh, Golden Axe 2, Knights, Burning Rangers, Space Channel 5, Samba de Amigo version 2000. Tomoko Sasaki, Sasaki, is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. She's uh, known for her World of Illusions, Nights into Dreams. She did the, the lyrics for Lights, Nights into Dreams, and I think the singing maybe. Uh, Space mm-hmm. Channel 5, Romania 2003. And then we have Mariko Namba, uh, who started doing, she did Skies of Arcadia and Dragon Force for Sega Saturn. Uh, Nanba here, the the girl in the in the end, um, she has like almost no online presence or anything. It's like I don't know. She like disappeared. I don't know. It's weird. Right. So you only find these like really low resolution photos of her. So it's weird. But yeah, back when Field of Magic released, IGN did an interview with Hataya, and he uh, asked him to describe the music for Field of Magic. He said, in general, the music can't be framed. 
as ret- retrospective scat singing music. In the words of the director, <laughs> the game consists of two musical concepts. The Rub Rabbit, the main character, theme, and the Love Girls themed. Um, here's, a, here's a theme that we're going to listen to from the love scene. Uh, let me see. Is this? I can't even see the title. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be hearing a little bit of it. Um, this, is, this shows you more of the Lovely Dovely track. <laughs> I mean yeah I know this well yeah great track um, so a lot of the tracks ha- has that where it's like music this one's called the next one we're going to listen to is to see the contrast between the, the, the music this one's called Nightmare so So the soundtrack used a lot of like scatting, um, like I don't know who did the vocals, but like it's I think it's kind of an interesting way of doing uh, music. What's your opinion on the Feel the Magic soundtrack? And like they've never made a soundtrack like this before. Like having a like I don't know like a rhythm game maybe would have been pretty cool with this type of like yeah no it's 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 catchy it's unique um, yeah I mean all in all. It all works with the visual style, um, with the black outlines or the the like silhouettes, and then this like do 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 like you know it it just works, and that's why it's so unfortunate that this franchise kind of just came and went. We don't even see references to it in like crossover games. No, that... It's not mentioned in the same breath as like Billy Hatcher. Yeah, and I think it's a better game than Billy Hatcher, to be quite honest. They got screwed over, um, didn't they? Like Billy Hatcher has like yeah. characters and levels in Sonic All Star Racing, but nothing for uh Feel the Magic Rabbit Man. Right. And you'd think these would be the easiest three D assets to make because they're just flat colors. Like nah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? No, they don't want to do it. Um it, it's also worth mentioning too that uh um Tomoko Sasaki, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, is the voice of the Chow. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, that that's true. We did an article on that, and I have to wonder if she does vocals then for this for the women. Uh, it does have a very Chow kind of sound when it goes su su do. That could be her. Oh yeah, definitely um, could be her. Yeah, and if you check out, uh, I think you can just search YouTube. Not right now, but like if you at home are listening to this. Uh, check her out on our YouTube channel, I believe. I actually have her chow voice slowed down, so you can hear chow voices at normal speed. (laughs) I don't know. It's it's there if you want it. The game had advertisement. I'm surprised, you know. Feel the Magic didn't seem to have much advertisement in America, but over in Europe, though, they got a whole print ad. Um, um, Mm -hmm. The... What the 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 ad on there? It's like a split cover kind of where the girl's on top and there's like a rabbit guy on the bottom. Uh, yeah. The top half is like up, the bottom half is upside down. The top is you could read it fine, so it makes you want to flip the magazine to see what they're saying. But the first bit of the ads is uh, her, the girl styling from the front cover, and it says "Touch me, stroke me, talk to me." And then if you look at the upside down bunny man, it says. Make cats squeal for me, vomit goldfish for me, and poke sky- spiky balls for me. 
So uh, hmm. what do you think about this advertisement? The whole like upside down thing to make the, the user, I guess, interact with the ad? Yeah, it's that's interesting. That's kind of fun. It does play off the whole dual screen thing. Mm-hmm. Um, based on the title, this is a European ad, yes, Project yeah. Rub. Yeah, yeah. They're always a little like, I don't know, randy, saucy. Uh, it's never really, <laughs> I've never really liked that side of, of uh, Sega Europe's ads. I've never been a big fan of like the dirty ones. Where like, oh, the more, the more you play with it, the hotter it gets. Like this kind of is in that sort of juvenile humor uh, thing. So it's fine for what it is, but I've, I've never been a big fan of that uh, in Sega's advertising. Even in the in the West, we in America, we've had uh, Sleeping with Fish for the Seaman one. It's like, oh, you don't want to talk about like the microphone or like the crazy like Egyptian connection. You just want to be like, oh, a guy slept with a fish. Uh, eh. Eh. That's what sells games, dude. Fish fucking... I guess. Not anymore. Not, not anymore. Can't do that. Well... Now that's, like, good. People want to do that. You're like, oh, you do that? Good. I was going to say, you have the ad. There's an ad right there on the on the notes. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's linked Ooh. to Sega Retro. I could... I Sonic Retro. I, I couldn't... I couldn't find it on YouTube. I don't know why. But it's a 15-second... Oh, it's a video. Yeah, it's a 15-second ad for this game in Japan, or I Will Die For You. So it shows off gameplay, mostly the music, really. Yeah. But the end? Yeah, very short. It's very, as you can see, Touch. casual, friend. Like, it has, like, a girl on, on the thing. It was. It's kind of, like, in, yeah. in line with what Nintendo's marketing was for the Nintendo DS. Like, Sega didn't really, like... In Japan, go too crazy. Now you'll see like comedy skits. This one was just showing you the the gameplay. That's it. They weren't going like, oh, you're on a date, but it, oh no, you're actually playing on the DS. I probably would have been a today ad, you know, like how they did the mm-hmm. the Wii U version of Yakuza, where he's like talking to the hostess, but he could use a second screen kind <laughs> of thing, you know. But right. So we're getting to the part of Legacy. This is a short game, so this is a short episode. But I feel like this is probably right. some of the, the I guess, interesting bits. So let's like I feel per- personally that Feel the Magic has taken probably the backest of the back seats when it comes to people talking about Sonic Team franchises. I feel like Sega totally forgot that it was a thing they did in the past. Even crossover events, Feel the Magic hasn't got really gotten any attention. There was a Feel the Magic achievement in Sonic and All Stars Racings if you use. Amy's all-star move on Sonic, but that's about it, mm-hmm. really. Though the game did get a sequel in late 2005 in Japan and early 2006 in the West called The Rub Rabbits. This time, both Europe and America shared the same name, while Japan called the game Akichan Yadoko Karakuro No, which translates to Where Do Babies Come From? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, we will be most we'll most likely make a Rub Rabbits episode. I want to uh, yeah. I want to ask: Do you think Sega being all over the place with the names for the games actually hurt it long term? And you said yes, so absolutely one hundred percent. It just gets worse. Like people call it the Rub Rabbits franchise. People call it the Project Rub franchise. Like what is it? I don't know. I wish kind of like with um, 
man, like sometimes Sega just puts their foot down. They're like, it's Jet Set Radio. Jet Grind, Jet Grind Radio is dead. I wish they would just come out and be like, stop calling it that. Project Rub everywhere. Yeah, stop calling you it know? that, dude. What's wrong with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> review wise, the game did good. Metacritic has the game clocking at a seventy five percent. I think that's admirable, um, mm-hmm. which I would say is you know pretty good. Some some of the high ratings actually came from established press. Uh, I didn't think they would even like this game or even play games, but the Times gave the game a five star rating, saying makes no use of the DS's wireless communication features, so there is no multiplayer events. Still, this offbeat gym is a must-have game for any fledging DS collection. The New York Mm -hmm. Times even did a glowing article about the game stating that most DS games use the second screen as a gimmick but not feel the magic, stating that most of the gameplay wouldn't be possible on the GBA, for example. So it's a true DS Hmm. game. The lowest Metacritic score came from a big publication was actually 1up.com, whose reviewer David Smith gave the game a 50%. Mostly praising the game for the, most of the stuff we gawked about, but laments over the full price of twenty nine ninety nine and saying that the game is far <laughs> too short. Oh, so, twenty nine ninety nine. Oh my god! That. Oh, Imagine that. No, that's a good price. That's low. I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like twenty nine ninety nine, dude. Remember? Is that a full price game? Really? For the DS, it was full price, and then and then later on, that's insane. Nintendo did the oh. Pokemon's thirty five dollars, and then all of a sudden everyone's like, "Yeah, mine's thirty five too, guys." And it's slowly Mario sixty four didn't drop in price for I feel like a decade. It probably still costs the same right so, now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I did find this quote from Sonic Team's Ogawa, who talked about the games being short. He said, "It is mm-hmm. difficult to decide what a what sort of gamer demands to respond to, and it wouldn't be so difficult to try to develop a, a longer title." However, you might find it tiresome if you were told to watch a 50-hour movie. If, I, if it were a game, what would you feel? Especially in Japan these days, it's important to give mm-hmm. users a certain degree of fulfillment and the ending within the limited amount of time they have available to play. Um, he would then all go on and compare it to uh, people eating food, saying sometimes you have to just say you're full and move on, even if the, the course is delicious. And uh, and he he also complained and he says that people complain about everything anyway. It's like there isn't enough to do. He he says they don't. Inf- he says he doesn't really think about critics' uh, opinions too much, which is kind of interesting <laughs> that he he said that because I feel like Sonic Team today all they care about is what critics think. Like they'll, they'll change everything they do at at a moment's notice of like. Sonic Rush got a nine out of ten. Oh my god! Now we have to make everything boost. So, right. so to me, it's like, yeah, maybe you didn't, ca- you don't care, but there's there's a lot of people in Sonic and Sega that do care. Like, look at the advertisement budget for um, Yakuza now. What has really changed right. from Yakuza? It's still the same formula. It's still the same <laughs> bread and butter. It's just that now critics woke up that they're actually good games and they're getting high Metacritic reviews and stuff. So it's like sometimes. The, you're right, and it takes sometimes the critics a few decades to catch up. I think and it's funny because we, we, you'll see some of these like True. people that work at these websites, right? Like big websites that've been working for thirty years in video games, going, "Oh man, I wish there was another game like this one." It would be like a Sega game that they like their publication trashed. 
And it's like, mm-hmm. I wonder why. I don't know. I guess you have to appreciate <laughs> it when you get them, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You want to talk? You want to read our Patreon's memories or comments? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I would just say about this game before I get into them. Uh, I totally agree with Ogawa. I think it's great to have games that aren't a fifty-hour movie. Like they they are as long as they need to be, and they're memorable. I can tell you that I would probably not have fond memories of this game if it was like a real slog and you're like, oh my God, when does this end? Like, you know, there's something to be said about a game that is as long as like a TV show. I will say. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. So, we might not do a Rub Rabbits episode. I mean, we might, but I want to end it by... We will. We will, but I want to end it with a little juicy bit that I read. A little juicy bit. I was going to say it for the last one, but it's so juicy that I kind of wanted to get your opinion on it. But like, he's... The director said that they asked him, the creator, they asked him, what would you want to do next after the Rub Rabbits? Because that was already out as an interview with that. And he says he wouldn't. He mm-hmm. doesn't want the franchise to stay as a mini game collection. He says he was tired of it. That he wants to move to another genre. And his thought process was that he wanted to do a game that's an RPG in the same style, but like on the Wii. But instead of like talking to NPCs to get the missions, you have to go chat girls up. And then you have to try to figure out how to get the missions for them. So it'd be like wacky. You know what? And I'm like, oh my god, that would be amazing. You know what? Get Atlas on it. Because that really seems like an Atlas wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, like, get Atlas to work with him. Do it. I would love that. Yeah, I mean, the Uh. Wii is already come and gone. But the Switch, I think that, I mean, that's so quirky. I'm like, oh, I love it. That's so, that's, that's slick. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll cover Rug Rabbits, Rub Rabbit, Rug the Rats, Rub Rabbits, uh, Rub Rabbits, on the next sexy number, whatever that is, like uh, eight thousand and eight, which is boob. Um, oh yeah, that's right. But in the meantime, if you support us on Patreon at any level, every time we have an episode coming out, we tell you what it is beforehand, and you get to leave comments, and then we read anything you guys write, um, uh, unless it's like naughty. But uh, this time. We have Nicholas Schaefer coming in. He says, honestly, when this came out, I was at an age that I was embarrassed to show interest in it. Um, And as far as podcast comments, I just want to say how much I appreciate the time and effort you put into research for the podcast. I learned so much and gain appreciation for some games that I may have missed. So thank you, Nicholas. I appreciate you. Um, Tyler Olu says... I did not expect a dose of Nintendo DS launch nostalgia from SegaTalk, but here we are. Don't tell Nintendo this, but Feel the Magic was easily my my most anticipated launch game. It was the kind of unique, off-kilter game I had to come to expect from Sega in the Dreamcast era, and coupled with how wild the DS was as a device, I couldn't have had been more excited. Really enjoyed my time with it and still have my copy. Don't dismiss it as a run-of-the-mill minigame collection. It's got so much more heart than that, and I could not agree more. So, George, why don't you close it out? Guys, thanks for watching. We'll catch you guys on the next episode of Sega Talk Podcast. Bye. Bye. It was fun 69ing. <laughs> <laughs>